This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, just a heads up. This show touches on some heavy lifting feelings territory, including what it's like to feel so hopeless that you want to die. It's not a graphic show. It's not that kind of show, but there is some swearing. This is a memoir show. It's about my experience trying to figure out some big stuff. So that means it's really only one person's story. And one more thing, it's a show about feelings. So it might bring up some feelings. So if afterwards you feel a bit funny, maybe you want to go do something nice for yourself, like me. I'm about to go ride my bike. Oh, and if you haven't started from the start, go back to F0 and start there. When I was a kid, my mum used to always go to the bathroom with the door open. This led me to believe that childbirth or child-rearing or some toxic combination of the two of those things was a surefire way to minimise the amount of fuck-giving one is capable of. That maybe my mum's lack of discretion was some kind of evidence of this transformation. I figured that, you know, when life gets real... When you go through the insurmountable pain of childbirth and then the insurmountable injury of child rearing, that it kind of bursts the blood vessel dedicated to social niceties and privacy, and you realise that many of them were just a ruse anyway. I guess I thought that that would be the same for emotional pain too. That there's some point at which you just snap and accidentally fall past breaking point and lose all those social graces. That whatever problems you have in life are suddenly written on your body for all to see. And so you go beyond caring what you think people think of you, beyond politeness and normalcy to that fertile land where you resign yourself to not even bother. That's how it always looked from the outside anyway. But I've been thinking about killing myself fairly non-stop for the past two weeks. And instead of being free from these social graces, I'm haunted by them. In fact, as I pack my bag for the psychiatric hospital, I'm faced with a glaring dilemma. Should I pack my vibrator? It makes sense, right? If you're checking yourself into a psych hospital because you're haunted by images of your own death, you should probably pack things that, you know, like, bring you joy. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure my bag is going to be searched. And embarrassment isn't the issue. I'm much more worried that packing a vibrator will make them think, well, she can't be that fucked up. Or maybe they'll make a note in my file. Brought vibrator to hospital. This chick is a whole other level of crazy. I've been in and out of therapy for 10 years, on and off psych drugs for the same, but this is the first time it really hits me. I've been stuck in this vibrator dichotomy this whole time. Because you're always in one of two camps, either the you're not that fucked up camp or the whoa, red alert, crazy lady coming through camp. There really 
is no in-between. And this isn't just me. There's literally no in-between in this system. If you're in the not-that-fucked-up camp, in Australia you can get 10 subsidised sessions a year with a psychologist, and this works for a lot of people, which is great. And then there's camp crazy lady coming through, the kind with case managers and social workers and police interventions and hospitals and community treatment orders, bureaucratic speak for forced treatment, things that cost a lot in terms of money and time and resources. But in between these camps, in the middle, there's the vast wasteland. And that's where I am. In this nowhere place where the subsidised sessions barely scratch the surface, but culturally speaking, we're not scared enough to intervene further. The vast wasteland where people are struggling but not psychotic, struggling but not violent, struggling but not suicidal enough. (laughs) Not suicidal enough. Such a shitty place to be. By the way, I didn't pack the vibrator. But don't worry, I did get a friend to smuggle it in later. What all this means is that if you find yourself in the vast wasteland, you're on your own, left to fend for yourself. And at a time when, you know, maybe you shouldn't be left alone to fend for yourself. Hi, um, I just wanted to book in another appointment. Sure thing. Just wanted to let you know, though, that you're coming up to your last two appointments. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, I didn't know that there was a limit. Yes, sorry. There's a limit of 10 sessions per calendar year. I bet they brought that limit in just to get you to fuck off. Oh, well, it's only March, so after those last two, can I just pay for the rest of the year? No, sorry. We don't do private appointments. So I'll just have to start again with someone new? Yes, unfortunately. Of course, you'll get a fresh 10 sessions next year. Yeah, it's just, that's a long time away. (laughs) In my experience, there's always a reason why I can't get help. Hi, you've called the Student Mental Health Service. How can I help you? Hi, um, hey, I just wanted to book in an appointment to see Jan again. All right, uh, which campus are you at? I'm down on South Bank. Ah, South Bank. Sorry, we don't have a counsellor at that campus anymore. At some point, I learned to just go without. Not in a majorly intense way, just in a let's not get into that unless it's really bad kind of way. But instead of thinking this system was clearly inadequate, I started to think that I must be a particularly bad problem, a stain on an otherwise helpful system. You know, that's what all the ads said. The key's just asking for help. But... I've been asking for help for 10 years and it is still not enough. Or I'm still not crazy enough. Good evening and welcome to Are You Crazy Enough? Where the ultimate prize is the help you need. Our first guest tonight, Honor Eastley. Honor, are you ready to play? Uh, yeah. Okay, so question one. Have you killed anyone? No. (laughs) Oh, okay. Have you committed a crime? Uh, no. Not even a petty theft? I mean, there was that time in my early 20s, I think I stole an avocado, but 
I'm I'm kind of bad at any that. drug addictions. No, like not even weed or something. I'm come on. You look like one of those nice girls with a pharmacy in her purse. Am I right, audience? Am I right? Uh, no, nothing like that. You're one of these people who didn't even get a detention in high school, aren't you? Uh, yes. Look, nothing against you personally, but you're making this really hard for me, right? I'm just, I'm just in a lot of pain and I'd, I'd really like not to be and, like, sometimes I want to die and I've told a bunch of people this and no one seems to really take me serious. Yeah, yeah, look, sorry, but that's just not going to cut it. Someone to take me seriously. That's what I wanted. And I do a lot to get it. Three months ago, I found myself writing a letter to a psychiatrist I'd never met. The letter explained my diagnosis, symptoms, current therapies. Disguised as an informative letter, it was actually evidence that I was a good candidate for care. What a great patient I'd be. Pick me. I'll take my drugs and I'll arrive on time. I promise. It wasn't my first crack at self-promotion. I'd actually mastered online dating, which was lucky because hunting for a psychiatrist is a lot like hunting for the one, only much more expensive and with a tiny dating pool. In 10 years, I've seen five different psychiatrists. The first was organised by my parents. I was 15 at the time. The second was assigned by my university. And the third... Well, that was all my doing. This third attempt really marked my leap into the clusterfuck that is the mental health care system. At that stage, life was held together by duct tape and strange thread. Something was wrong and getting worse, but I had no idea what, and all my efforts towards wellness had been intense, but my state was unyielding. My doctor and psychologist were at a loss. All agreed that I needed to see a psychiatrist now. But the process of finding one was chaotic at best. I took the prescribed route and saw my GP, who referred me to a psychiatrist working out of East Melbourne. Happily, I trundled home with my referral letter to book myself an appointment. Unfortunately, Dr. East Melbourne wasn't taking any more patients. And even if he was... He cost $475 an hour. Fuck. (laughs) That's a lot of money. Something cheaper must exist, right? I looked at the Beyond Blue website. They only listed psychologists, and I'd already seen three of them in the last two months, so I didn't need any more of those. And after a bit more Googling, I found Headspace, a free youth mental health service. But after some interviews, they told me they didn't have any openings for a psychiatrist. And that being 25, I was almost too old anyway. It was probably best not to even bother with a psychologist at this stage. I contacted my work where it turns out I could see a psychiatrist and it was also bulk billed, which meant that the government paid instead of me but the earliest appointment was three months away. Some more Googling uncovered the Australian Psychiatric Registry, a list of all registered Australian psychiatrists with addresses and phone numbers, my psychological soulmate mecca. After I discovered the filter function, I searched for specialises in mood disorders and bulk billing available. 
Of the 30 or so different psychiatric officers I called, several didn't answer, several were disconnected, several with the wrong address, and absolutely none of them bulk billed or had appointments available in the next two months. The receptionist must have heard the desperation in my voice and started offering me advice. I was sent on a wild mission down Wikipedia-esque holes until all the suggestions I was getting were ones that I had already tried. And all of this while periodically feeling like I want to die. The vast wasteland, it asks a lot of its inhabitants, a population that's already on the brink of emotional exhaustion. A friend of a friend of mine used to work in intake in a mental health service. She said she couldn't hack it in the end because most of her job seemed to be just turning people away or putting them on a three-month waiting list and in the meantime calling them periodically to make sure that they were still interested and also not dead. If you've got skin in the game, I guess it sucks on both sides of the administrative coin. Finally, I got an appointment with a doctor in Richmond and I only had to wait two weeks to see her. She didn't bulk bill. It was $395 for the first session and she didn't specialise in mood disorders, but she was a psychiatrist and she was available soon-ish. Dr Richmond was a middle-aged woman who I think was Russian based on her accent and surname. It was kind of hard for me to understand what she was saying and I was pretty sure she hadn't grasped what I was saying either. I felt like a tourist, complete with wild gesticulation and unusually enunciated sentences. Despite the communication difficulties, she gave me a pretty conclusive diagnosis at the end of the session. To put it vaguely, she told me I was suffering from a disorder that meant I had too many feelings, about four times as many as your average person. She put me on a new drug and gave me a brochure for a year-long psychological therapy program she said I needed to do. Finally, answers. Progress. I'm just in a lot of pain and I'd I'd really like not to be. And, like, sometimes I want to die and I've told a bunch of people this and no one seems to really take me serious. Yeah, yeah, look, sorry, but that's just not going to cut it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank honour for her time. Our next guest I got got a new diagnosis last week. Does that help? What is it? Oh, it's it's this, like... Oh, Lordy. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's really bad. Which means, that's great! You've made it across the vast wasteland. Welcome to all the services. Please get your hands inside the vehicle until you've fully landed. And a reminder, there's no smoking on the tarmac. Oh my God, are you serious? Oh my God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I just, I'd really like to thank my mom and my dad who've always been there for me and all the psychologists I've seen and that really nice lady at Centrelink last week. And I just, I just, uh, I just Hey, hi, how you doing? I'm good. I'm so good. I'm really good. The truth is, I wanted to be medicalized. Yeah, I wanted to tell you, because <laughs> you've seen me. <laughs> you've seen me go through the shit over the years. So I finally found a psychiatrist who 
like, gave me a diagnosis. I wanted someone to name it. I wanted them to tell me what it was and it to be a thing that was real and written down in a textbook somewhere. I'm on new meds. There's a year-long program. There's all this stuff. Something that says this thing that is happening to you that you can't explain is real and true and not your fault. I think it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Yeah, I, I think it's good to finally have someone who, like, takes you seriously after all these years. Something that says, you're not alone. I see you. I see how hard you're trying. You can lay down here some. Anyway, I just wanted to call you, let you know. I think it's all going to be okay, so... Yeah. I'll talk to you later. i got to get back to work, but, um, yeah. I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That diagnosis gave me two things. It gave me a name and it gave me a path. Here, read these books and fill out these forms and pay this money and wait this long and read this textbook and find this counsellor and everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I had found the thing that I always suspected there was. A way through, a way across the vast wasteland. A system I could access. Dr Richmond, she just happened to be accredited with a private hospital that also just happened to do the year-long treatment program I would need. In the end... I found my psychiatric soulmate in much the same way that many modern love stories begin. A lot of administrative stubbornness combined with random internet happenstance. I just have to have a little pin here. And so here I am at the forefront of mental health care. I found a mental health clinic that specialises in my condition and it's right in my hometown. On the website it says it's the most innovative mental health clinic in Australia. Shit, yeah. Yep, that looks all fine too. I'm hopeful. Maybe this is the answer. Mm. So I see you were supposed to check in two days ago on Friday. Yeah, but I had to MC a friend's wedding, so they said it was okay if I came in today. I told you. Okay. You shouldn't have MC that wedding. Fuck, fuck, um, fuck. So I'll just run you through some quick questions and then I'll leave you to get settled in. Any allergies? No. Penicillin? No. Uh, is this your first visit to hospital? Yeah. Okay. One thing I do need to cover, um, you're not going to give it up easily in here, are you? Oh, I'm not sure what you... It, if someone tries it on with you in the hallway, are you likely to, you know... Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Okay, yeah, no. Good, What, good, what good. kind of question is that? Any self-harm? Uh, yeah. Show me. Okay, okay, yeah. That's not that bad. Usually people with your diagnosis are... Um... But just to let you know that if you do do that in here, you'll be sent to a public hospital. Uh, okay, all right. Well, that's all the questions and that's everything. Oh, actually, uh, 
just so you know, you make your own beds in here because you're not children and we're not going to treat you that way, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and see your diagnosis here? I'd probably just keep that to yourself. People might give you grief. As in other people or...? M more staff, you know, some of them can be kind of funny. Oh, OK. All right, well...
If this show brought up some stuff for you that you'd like to talk about, we've listed some places you can contact, as well as a whole bunch of resources and further reading in the show notes and on the website. Just search for No Feeling Is Final podcast online. Or you can call Lifeline. Their number in Australia is 13 11 14, and someone is there 24 hours a day. My preference these days is online chat services because I'm still a millennial. And maybe you have a thing you do when you're feeling, I don't know, a bit funny. You might want to go do that thing. Like me, right now. It's sunny out, and on those days, I ride up and down my street. It's always just about trying to get to the end and do this perfect turning circle. In the summer, I'm out here kind of a lot. I think my neighbors think I'm weird.